0: Welcome back, friends. How's your week going? If you've been waiting for this episode, I apologize for the extra time it's taken me. You know, it's such an important topic that I want to make sure I'm giving you the best information that I can. In this week's episode, we're going to talk about worry, anxiety, and perfectionism in kids. If you're listening to this, you probably already have a child that you know and love that struggles with one or all three of those. You or your spouse may also struggle as well. Statistically, there's a high percentage of both children and adults who deals with these issues. I've lumped them all together in this podcast because they are highly connected to one another. Often, if there is one, the others may be in there somewhere too. It can be kind of confusing to tease them out and determine which one is which and does it even really matter. So let's talk about worry, anxiety, and perfectionism. We'll start with worry. Who hasn't worried? Nobody. Worry is a part of the human condition and worries come and they go typically and are often related to specific situations. I'm worried about a test. Or a problem or an upcoming meeting. That kind of situational worry is not usually a problem, right? It comes and it goes. When worry starts becoming a problem is when it begins to interfere with our normal day-to-day lives, our tasks of living. That goes for adults and children. For adults, that kind of worry can keep us up at night. Paralyze us with fear, keep us from leaving the house, enjoying work, friends, and activities. That kind of persistent worry can become anxiety. If you or a loved one has that kind of worry, you need to seek the support of your healthcare professional. If you are diagnosed with an anxiety disorder, the fabulous news is that it is highly, all caps, treatable. Uh, And you might be tempted to go down the rabbit hole of, you know, where does all this anxiety come from? What are the causes? You know, I like to know the reasons for things, too. Um, And that is work and research that can be done at a later time. You might have heard of the paralysis of analysis, and I really don't want you to do that. If your worries are persistent and disrupting your life, please seek professional support. Start with your uh, medical doctor. You, you deserve to be healthy and happy and can start right now. But this podcast is about parenting, right? Not parents. Well, if you've listened to this pod even once, you know that the parent-child relationship is so highly connected that we are emotional co-regulation partners with our kids. And that is to say that what's going on with, with uh, the your parents, sorry, <laughs> getting a little bit lost here. Um, that's to say that what's going on with the parent has a significant impact on the child, and vice versa. So please take care of yourself, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. Perfectionism, though. How does that play into the worry-anxiety dynamic? Perfectionism is the need to be perfect at pretty much everything. To never make mistakes, to do things right the first time. Does this quote sound familiar? Anything worth doing is worth doing right. Sounds fairly virtuous, doesn't it? Didn't we hear and internalize those messages growing up? Unfortunately, those ideas taken to the extreme carry with them an unspoken and insidious fear. The fear of being imperfect, of being flawed, of being less than, less intelligent, less attractive, less skilled, less talented, can lead to beliefs about being unworthy and unlovable. Wow. How do we get from just trying to do things right or correctly to being unlovable? That's a really unhealthy rabbit hole many of us fall into, and and so do kids. And kids who are perfectionistic can't make a mistake. If they do, it will prove that they're not smart, or maybe that they're dumb, that they're not good, or maybe they're bad. And they're not talented or lovable. Of course, none of that's true, but that's where the rabbit hole leads. Also, as a secondary consequence of perfectionism, perfectionistic kids will refuse to try new things. So, um, you know, whether that's a math problem, a sport a musical instrument or social activity. Um, And they won't try those things for fear of not being perfect or getting it right the first time. And we all know that you never or very rarely (laughs) you can get things right the first time. We know, I mean, that's why practice makes perfect and you have to keep working on something over and over and over. Perfectionism is a really, really limiting way of life. And ultimately, it can have a major impact on mental health. So if you're new to the podcast, welcome to Mom Psych. Mom Psych is a parenting podcast devoted to providing you with community, evidence based research, information and education, and support for raising emotionally intelligent, responsible global citizens. It's not easy. You're already doing it right, and we can always do it better. I'm your host, Lisa Weir. I'm a licensed parent family educator and have worked with hundreds of families, teaching parenting classes, coaching one-on-one, home visiting, and writing. I'm passionate about helping parents navigate the challenges of raising good humans in an increasingly complex world. Before we get started, just a standard disclaimer that this podcast is intended for educational and informational purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice or private therapy, and that is really especially true for this particular topic. Okay, before we continue, full disclosure, I live in a household of anxious people, but I didn't know it until my youngest daughter, Sheridan, was diagnosed with anxiety in third grade. At that time, I was in grad school and hadn't begun my career as a parent educator yet. Cher had always had a sensitive temperament, but it didn't occur to me that she might have anxiety. You know, as I look back now, she definitely had many of the signs of anxiety, but again, at the time, I really didn't know what those were. We we struggled along, <laughs> and I continued to adjust my parenting to fit her her temperament to create a goodness of fit If you remember that from the temperament episode. And it really did make a huge difference in her and in our relationship. But by third grade, Cher was struggling so much to hold it together at school that by the time she got home off the bus, she would have full on crumpling emotional meltdowns on the floor after walking in the front door. It was heartbreaking that was my, my sign that something wasn't right. Holding it together in school and third grade shouldn't be that hard, right? So a trip to the pediatrician and a referral to a psychologist later and Cher had been diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. Through that process, I have learned lots about anxiety and obviously I'm not a trained psychologist, but a mama on a mission who also happens to be a parent educator. In the course of my career, I've worked with so many parents with anxious, perfectionistic, or perpetually worried kids and or anxious themselves. And it's my deepest hope that my personal and professional experience can can help you too. I hope that you can feel all my love and compassion for you. 'Cause this is really hard and it's really, really hard to see our sweet our sweet kids suffer. And so here we go. One of the most encouraging things about dealing with worries and perfectionism is that not only it's not only highly, highly treatable, but that parents can really support kids in super helpful ways and themselves too. Just a quick reminder again, though, I'm not a clinical psychologist, and this is educational and informational and not therapeutic. You shouldn't try to treat anxiety without professional help. So this is what I've learned about perfectionism. Although having high standards is generally a positive characteristic, perfectionism can lead to negative consequences and undermine success. So these are some of the um, behaviors um, that might give you a clue that your child is a perfectionist. If, if you don't already know that, maybe you have a hunch and maybe these things will kind of help guide your thinking. So this is my list. So perfectionistic kids will typically spend lots of time worrying about schoolwork, their friendships and activities. So just an awful lot of time in their heads worrying about stuff. They're very afraid of making mistakes, very reluctant to make mistakes, and so therefore very reluctant to try new things. And again, that is just super, super limiting. They often run out of time on projects or homework or um, they run out of time on time tests, too. Um, And that can be really hard when you're in high school, right? So, again, these are just some of the signs of perfectionism. Always have to win. Always have to make A's. A B or C will just not do. Um, They're also... Um, they can also be really angry with themselves for not being able to do things just right. Um, very often they have a really hard time making choices or decisions. Um, they're always comparing their work to the work of others. Um, that's kind of a way to confirm like, okay, am I good or not good at this? Um, they always have to be in control. Um, pay more attention to negative than positive cons- comments um, very often they'll procrastinate because of the fear of not getting something perfect um, and sometimes they would rather lie than tell the truth about making a mistake or doing something wrong because the the thought of of telling you that they made a mistake or did something wrong is just unbearable. Um, so they'd rather lie. Um, so again, so those are those are some of the signs. Um, obviously, perfectionism can really limit your child's potential, their self-confidence, their emotional health, their social relationships, and, and most importantly, um, their overall enjoyment of life. So here's a few. There's actually eight suggestions that I have for you um, to help um, your perfectionistic child and to help redirect that child's thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. So the first suggestion is to allow for mistakes. This is so important. And it's very important how we frame mistakes, and talk about mistakes, and live mistakes, even in our home. They're normal, they're natural, we expect them. Um, We talk about, you know, and you can, you can talk about the importance of making mistakes um, for learning. How else would you learn without making a mistake? Um, Remembering that pencils have erasers. Um, And tell your child, that's why pencils have erasers. Um, Accept your own mistakes. Um, Make sure that you also can reframe your own mistakes um, and view them as opportunities for learning. Um, You know, it's not a crime to make a mistake. And we need to make sure that our children understand that that mistakes are just mistakes. You always have a chance to do something over or in a different way, um, and it needs and we need to help them to understand that um, mistakes are not life or death. Typically, and um, one of the best ways to communicate that is by um, modeling for them that mistakes mistakes are just normal and and it's not the end of the world. Um, also share share how making mistakes has actually helped you in your life. I'll bet you have many examples of that. Number two, focus on process and effort rather than results. So instead of, you know, asking what grade you got on a test or, You know, how many goals did you score Um, or, you know, did you get the best grade on the spelling, you know, the Friday spelling list? Um, Any of those things. Um, Focus, focus and help your child to focus on what is important is not that end result, but it is the process. You know, it's the it's the what did you do to prepare? you know, did you study? Did you practice? Did you shoot that basketball a thousand times in your driveway before the game? Um, effort is, and, and we talked about this also in the growth mindset episode. Um, effort is very hardy. It is not fragile and it is, um, your effort can't be diminished when we focus on the end result or the grade or, you know, who got first, second, or third place. um, You know, there's always going to do going to be somebody who does something better than you, even if you're great at something on a, on a different day. Um, So again, not focusing so much on what the end result is, but what the the process is and the effort, because that, You know, the the accolades, you know, might come and go, um, but the effort, the effort can't be um, diminished. Remind your child um, of improvements that they have made in developing skills like math or sports or reading or music. Encourage flexibility rather than rigid schedules, routines, and habits. And if you have a child who is super, super rigid and things have to be a certain way every single day at a certain time and those kinds of things, you probably should consider um, throwing some curveballs here and there. Um, it might not be fun for you. Um, in general, life will throw you curveballs, so you might not have to plan for those. But if you have been kind of walking on eggshells with your perfectionistic child and, you know, keeping these really intense schedules and routines and almost rituals um, just, you know, so that they can, like, you know, just function, you um, you probably do need to consider um, th- throwing in a few things that you know were not scheduled, were not planned, and now we're going to develop the skills of flexibility um, and um, resiliency. So those are good things um, for for um, big jobs or projects. Um, where it might seem like such a big undertaking for your child, um, help your child to break down tasks into manageable, manageable chunks, sequences, and even time and even like time estimations, because again, those, those are skills that take time to build. Nobody actually knows how to do that, um, without some support and some help. So help your child do that. Help um, encourage your child, um, your perfectionistic child, um, encourage activities for relaxation and creativity with no expected end result whatsoever. There is no performance requirement at all, whether it's reading a book, or I don't know, taking a pottery class or something like that. It's all for relaxation and creativity. And it doesn't matter. Even if you take a pottery class, you don't even have to bring home a pot if you don't want to. Um, This is just for the experience. Because perfectionistic kids need to know that their value and worth is not Based on some kind of product or performance. Number seven, allow your perfectionist kids um, some risk taking and some safe opportunities to fail. Um, I remember a time that um, my younger daughter's um, psychologist said to her, um, this is when they were getting letter grades. She said, I want you to make a B your assignment is to make a B instead of an A. And that was really, really difficult for her because, because she was a perfectionist and the only acceptable grade for her was an A. And she needed to know, and she needed to learn that, the sky would not fall down. Um, nobody would die. And she could still be a great student. Nobody would change their opinion of her um, because she got to be. So um, help your perfectionistic child fail. I know that's hard, right? But it's really, really important because guess what? There's, everybody is going to fail at some things in life. I like to use the example of Thomas Edison. I think he, he tried and failed to create electricity. I think it was like over a 1,000 times. What if he decided to give up at 999 times? We'd be sitting here in the dark. <laughs> anyway, they need to fail. And you need to be good with it. How about that? Um, number eight. Read books together, Re- and read books together about people who failed, and find examples like Thomas Edison. Um, I also have some other books that I'm going to refer you to um, f- around um, worry and anxiety and those kinds of things. And I'm going to put those. I'll take pictures of those and put them on the Mom Psych Facebook page so that um, um, so that you have you have some books. Um, to use as resources and references. You know, as parents, we have the opportunity to help our children understand that their best efforts are good enough and they don't have to be perfectionists because their value is in who they are rather than what they do or how they perform. And, and as parents, We need to not just say that, but they really need to see from us. We have to prove it to them that their value is not in in what they do or how they perform, but their value is in just the amazing human beings that they are and who they are becoming. Alrighty, so that is perfectionism. So that's what I know about perfectionism. It's not very much, is it? (laughs) Oh, hopefully it's something, right? All right. Um, So let's talk a little bit um, about anxiety. And um, most of what I have learned about anxiety um, actually comes from my child's uh, psychologist that she used to see. And, um, and a terrific book um, called Freeing Your Child from Anxiety by Tamar Jansky. And I'll put that on the Facebook page as well. Um, so unfortunately, uh, there is an increasing number of kids who are experiencing pers- persistent fears and worries that do interfere with family and friendships and school and sports and other interests one in eight children suffers from some type of anxiety disorder and ongoing worry and fear doesn't typically go away by itself. Um, But again, it is highly treatable and kids can learn strategies to help them face their persistent worries and take control of them. There are some, let's say... I I hesitate to use the word red flags um to help you to determine if your child um if your child's worries are a problem or a temporary phase but let's just call these some indicators that your child may um that your child's worries may um be problematic um and perhaps not not a temporary phase so um, demonstrating excessive distress, you know, out of proportion to the situation, like crying, um, physical symptoms, sadness, anger, frustration, hopelessness, and embarrassment. Um, that can certainly be a um, a sign that your, your child's worries are maybe more problematic. Um, also, If your child is easily distressed or agitated when in a stressful situation, that can be an indicator, Um, needs repetitive reassurance and ask questions, what if concerns, um, inconsolable or won't respond to logical arguments, Um, perhaps if they have headaches, stomach aches um, or are have those regularly or too sick to go to school. Um, if they have anticipatory anxiety, um, you know, worrying hours, days, weeks ahead of something, um, if they are experiencing disruptions of sleep with difficulty, falling asleep, frequent nightmares or difficulty sleeping alone, that also can be a sign of problematic worries. Perfectionism actually is um, can be an indicator of um, problematic worries or anxiety. So perfectionism, being self-critical, having very high standards, and um, and you know, and nothing is good enough. Um, that's that can be a, a red flag. Um, if they are overly responsible, people-pleasing, excessive concern that others are upset with him or her, unnecessary apologizing. Again, those are some things um, to be paying attention to. Um, if he or she is demonstrating excessive avoidance or refuses to participate in expected activities or refuses to attend schools, school, again, that's that's problematic. Um, or even refuses to attend family functions, um, just difficulty with going to school or going to a friend's house, religious activities, family gatherings, errands, vacations. Um, you get the picture. Um, avoidance of just, again, normal, regular life things that, you know, most kids like and enjoy. Um, and then finally, another possible indicator of problematic worry would be just excessive time spent your excessive time spent consoling your child about distress with ordinary situations Um, you're having to spend excessive time coaxing your child to do those normal activities like homework and hygiene um, and meals and you know um, and so obviously so these are so and this is kind of a long list of possible indicators of problematic worry. Um, I do think it is interesting that sometimes kids who present particularly um, like negative behavior or oppositional, you know, or just, you know, are not going to do what you want them to do. Sometimes that is, an indicator of, of of problematic worry or anxiety um, and not, and not just, you know, being naughty or uncompliant. Um, so again, something to consider. So if your child is regularly experiencing these kinds of behaviors, anxiety really could be interfering with his or her quality of life and their development. And, and I certainly found this in my family, that um, all of these behaviors affect the entire family. So not just the child um, with the persistent worry, but everybody else in the family. So, so something to consider. Um, So, um, the author of this book, psychologist Tamar Chansky, she's a PhD and she's founder of something called um, www.worrywisekids.org. She provides a seven-step plan in her book for how to help your anxious child. Um, And there are a number of books. This was just the one that my daughter's psychologist recommended to me and I just found very, very helpful, but there are really a number of good books. And like I said, I will, I'll take some pictures of those books and I'll post them on the Mom Psych Facebook page. Um, if you're interested. Okay. So the first, um, the first strategy uh, or the first step of her plan to help your anxious child um, is to empathize what your child is feeling. So, um, you know, as parents, sometimes we'll say, "Oh, that's silly. Don't worry about that." Um, it just really doesn't help the child who is expressing and experiencing a worry to be told that there's nothing to worry about. It's just not their reality. And so you can help your child handle the feeling and reassure him or her that it's temporary and it will go away. Uh, The second step um, to her plan in the book um, is something that we found so helpful in my family. Um, So in her book, she relabels the problem as the worry brain. So instead of saying to your child, oh, you know, you're such a worrier, you're just worrying all the time. Um, Instead, you can label the problem as either the worry brain, Um, another book um, calls it the worry bully. Um, But Chansky writes, the power of relabeling is that it separates the worry from your child. So instead of just following the worry brain's orders, the child's able to pause and consider, you know, who is asking me the, this question? Do I need to even listen? And then something that I, um, I really found helpful is that when my daughter would be sharing, you know, a, a concern or a worry with me, um, you know, I would be able to say, you know, wow, Honey, that really sounds like your worry brain. I think your worry brain is is trying to boss you around and is um, trying to be in charge. And then and then we would talk about the strategies. But it was really really helpful to be able to separate that that worry from my child. And um, I think everybody um, who deals with Um, worries, particularly with their kids, this can be super, super helpful. Um, Then we also use terms like, you know, you can boss back the worry brain um, or the the worry bully. You could, you could boss them back by talking back, um, by saying things that are true instead of the things that are not true that your worry brain wants you to believe. Like maybe you don't have any friends. I remember that one, you know, the, her worry brain was saying, you know, you don't have any friends at school. And, you know, we'd go, okay, well, let's just do a fact check. Um, and that's one of, um, the third steps. And, and so I would say, okay, well, let me ask you, is this person your friend? Well, yeah. Is this person your, yeah, yeah. See, the worry brain doesn't know. Or the worry brain is trying to trick you. And we did talk a lot about that too, how the worry brain um, was trying to trick her. And so we had to make sure that we, um, that we tested the things that the worry brain was telling her um, because they very um, likely were not true. Um, so that third strategy is rethink and shrink the worry down to size. Um, and again, so one of the ways to do that is by doing a fact check, um, about what the worry is saying and what is really true. Um, something else that, uh, another strategy that we used is, um, instead of the worry brain just going full on all day long, um, we limited worry time to, you know, I don't know, 15 minutes a day, where I would just sit there and listen to the worry. And, and she could always talk about what was worrying her. But if there were other times in the day when she wanted to, you know, talk more about worries, and I would say, Oh, yep, you know, you, you can, easily we can we're definitely going to talk about your worries. We're going to let those out. However, um we're going to wait until worry time and you can put that in your worry box until worry time. And um and that was really really helpful, guys. Um number 4, this is a really big one. Um get the body on board. So turn off the alarms. Um, So what happens when you or your child is um, having anxiety, anxiety produces that fight-or-flight physiological response, such as um, a racing heart, sweaty palms, nausea, stomach pain. And so your job is to help your child slow things down. Uh, Chansky suggests five deep breaths, um, some muscle relaxation, and or active movement. Um, so something like dance, getting on a bike, um, running, um, and, um, and those are great ways to turn off the body's alarms and to, um, and to make a shift to change gears. She uses the language of changing gears. Um, the other thing is that it is really, really important for your child to recognize that those physical symptoms that he or she is feeling, although yes, they are anxiety, um, they can't hurt her or him, and they will go away. The feelings will pass, um, and that um, that they have some control over, turning down those big alarms and bells and whistles, um, those messages that they're getting from their body. Um, Okay, so number five, approach the worry on purpose and practice getting used to it. Um, So G-U-T-I, gutty, goody. I don't know. Anyway, getting used to it. (laughs) So the idea is that you and your child develop a plan to systematically provide practice opportunities um, or like exposures to face the worry or the fear. Um, And so the purpose is to develop a tolerance or immunity to worry, um, similar to like allergy shots or, you know, how kids are like... um, they're being exposed to peanut butter. Um, You know, if there's a history in the family of peanut allergies, um, they have just in a kind of a controlled environment, they, they have, um, exposures to, to peanut butter or, you know, some kind of peanut product. And over time that increases until, um, ideally they have no reaction. And that would be the same thing with the worry. So just an example, um, in our case, um, I had signed um, Sheridan up for a little volleyball camp when she was, I think it was in elementary school. She really, really didn't want to go. She really didn't want to be away from me. It was, it it was, close to home. I just thought it was a really important thing for her to do. She did not want to do it. She did not want to do it. I talked to her therapist about it. I felt like, oh my gosh, I'm such a terrible mom making her do this. And so what we did is I stayed. I, you know, the first day I stayed for the whole thing. Uh, the next day it was a three day thing. The next day I stayed for half a day. The third day I stayed for one hour and so, um, so again, that helped her get used to it, um, her fear, or her worry of being away from me. Um, and then the sixth step is refocusing on what you want to do. And so this step is to help you help your child decide how to move on and change gears and not stay stuck in the worry cycle. So again, Um, The main ways to change gears are through either specific relaxation activities or um, just physical movement activities and kind of the more energy, the better on that, on that one. Also, something I forgot to mention, um, very often kids with anxiety just need so much reassurance you know, are you sure it's going to be okay? Are you sure it's going to be, you know, what happens if this, what happens, you know, if this happens, what happens? And, you know, it's our, it's our natural inclination to say, um, of course, of course, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna keep reassuring. And that, that's actually not helpful. um, Because that excessive reassurance that we give sort of feeds that that worry brain or that worry bully and almost kind of confirms that there really is something to worry about. So, you know, you can just call it out and say, you know what? I, I hear that you're really worried about this. And I think that this is your worry, worry brain again. So we can talk about this again at worry time. And if you want, we can put it in that worry box, but I'm, I'm not going to respond to this anymore. And it's not because I don't love you. It's because I'm not going to talk to that, to the worry brain anymore. I really like that worry brain idea, guys. It works so well for so many kids. Um, And then the last step is reinforce your child's efforts at being courageous. Celebrate and recognize each time your child attempts to use um, his or her anxiety strategies, and you know, rewards can be motivating for some children too. So, you know, i I wouldn't um, I wouldn't overuse rewards. But if you think that they could be helpful, I think I think use what you have you can. Um, so, there are many resources available to support a child who is experiencing chronic worry. And if you'd like to discuss anxiety or any other parenting concern, you know where to find me. And um and if you're interested in some of the books, I'm gonna like I said, I'm gonna go ahead and post those. Ah, oh, wow, that's a lot, right you guys. So having perfectionistic tendencies and anxiety is not fun. Um, but with some tools and some strategies and support, those challenges can help our kids, um, and us build some grit and resiliency necessary for handling really any hurdle in life. And I do think my daughter is a pretty good example of that. She had to learn early on in her life, how to handle her worries and anxiety, um, And that came in really very handy um, when the pressures of high school, college admissions, and rigorous academics required really hard work and focus. She knew how to do that. Now those skills are preparing her to be a medical professional. And yes, she still has anxiety, and it's highly managed. Some days and situations, I think she'd say it might get the best of her, but she's learned to use her strategies and has the experience of knowing she will bounce back. So I wish you all love. And if I can help, you again, you know where to find me. And I look forward to talking to you soon. Have a great week, friends. Bye-bye.